Welcome to our podcast, Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. We're three proud geek dads and we're here to talk all things technology, gaming, science fiction and more. This week we're discussing all things Design Spark as the engineering platform turns 10. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Geeks, We Are Your Fathers. I'm Robbie. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm Dave. <laughs> Sound enthusiastic, what? Dave, weren't you? <laughs> Sorry, what's that? Hi, I'm Dave. I'm sitting in my very, very warm little office and I'm baking because it's about... All right, okay, all right, all right. Do it again, do it again. <laughs> Give me grief. No, I think we'll live with that. <laughs> this episode is a special celebration podcast to mark Design Spark's 10th birthday on the 5th of July. Design Spark is a design engineering platform and both myself and Pete are part of it now. But Dave, you were actually there for the birth, weren't you? Yes, I was I was part of the Design Spark team when we launched. There were I can never remember exactly how many of us there were. There were about eight or nine of us all working towards getting the, the platform launched and and set up. So how did it get started in the first place? Um Design Spark was ultimately it was the, the brainchild of the head of electronics for RS, a chap called Chris Page, who's got a lot of experience in the industry. RS, RS by that point, I think, been going 70-something years. And all of a sudden, RS Components wasn't the key player in electronics anymore. We were we felt like we were losing, or Chris certainly felt like he was losing touch with that engineering electronic audience. And he said, well, we've got to do something about that. But at the same time, all of the electronics engineers we were already talking to were all you know, 55 years old, using Aging the old rockers. big thick... Yeah. yeah. Using the big thick catalogue, the RS catalogue. Anybody old enough to remember the RS catalogue, remember this this book that was inches thick, weighed yeah. a ton. And so all the engineers that we were dealing with were the people who were using that catalogue. And at the time, we said, we're not going to be able to reclaim our electronics leadership if we just stick with the book and talk to those engineers. We've got to engage with well, the people like you, Robbie, coming straight out of university. So all of a sudden, we started looking at ways that we could engage with that younger engineer yeah the so they, they went away isn't it yeah, yeah absolutely and they, they went away and they they analyzed they sort of thought about what an electronics engineer has to do at all the key stages of their design and the decision was well, well let's try and create some kind of platform that allows us to provide an answer for an engineer at each of these steps so whether it was uh researching components or whether it was coming up with a development kit and trying it out um, and development kits were a big part of design spark when it launched the whole point originally was that we were going to review development kits and engineers were going to be able to select their development kit based on the reviews that were left by some of their peers because even then i think rs was doing something like 1500 development kits into a to a mechanical engineer like me, they're all just little green boards with a bit of, bit of silicon on. <laughs> I don't know what they do. But apparently the key thing is that engineers have the same problem. So the idea was that we were going to be able to review the development kit and say, well, yeah, it's great for doing this, but it's really hard to code for doing that. And, and it was going to provide a, a resource. And then it kind of blossomed and into this platform that delivers all of these things. So it, de- it delivers software for people to do PCB design. And design Spot still does that. It delivers all these uh, project reviews and ideas about how to get started. Design Spot does that in spades. 
it, it designed it, the intention was that it was always going to be this resource to help engineers get over whatever problem they're having at the time um i'm told originally it was meant to be called dev hut as in <laughs> development kit hut but the behind the scenes we called that do you know why you know well, it apparently is something rude in a, in a foreign language. I think it's Japanese. I think in uh, Japanese or Cantonese, it means something about your um, your great aunt or something, or your mother. Yes, it was, it was yeah, very rude, and, so they decided not to do it. <laughs> yeah, and so Design Spark was born. And yet, yeah. Design Spark seems... I can't imagine it being called anything but, because it just it's so perfect. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that, because the, obviously it started, as you said, around that PCBs and electronics design. But I first started to become aware of it more for the 3D printing side of it and the design spot mechanical, which you again you were part of, weren't you? Yes, yeah. the the 3D the 3D modelling and the 3D design part was was kind of my little corner of Design Spark. We had a, the team we had, all of whom were I mean the experts in their own field. They were they were a talented bunch of people, and we were all hired because we weren't really shrinking violets. We were all busy talking about our own little area. Um, I came on board having a background in connectors and electromechanical devices and I was given the responsibility for 3D and it we went through the the process of, of setting up a system where we could deliver 3D models for engineers so that they could download them saves an enormous amount of time make sure that they've got an accurate model and then we started saying well what happens if an engineer doesn't have access to a 3D modeling piece of software well, we'd already delivered a PCB design software for free. DesignSpot PCB was one of the launch tools that we, we used 10 years ago. Yeah. So we started looking around and saying, well, is there a way that we could deliver a 3D modeling tool? And that, that was a big ask because some of these things are expensive bits of kit. Some of these professional tools are, are really expensive per seat. So we didn't know if we were going to be able to do that. But, um, but yeah, back in 2013, we delivered design spark mechanical I mean, it, was, it wasn't a particularly easy time for me i wasn't a project manager and i'm sure it took five years off my life doing it um <laughs> certainly gave me some gray hairs but ultimately we managed to deliver design spark mechanical and and that seems to have gone from strength to strength and i think they're on i think you're on version four is it now we're talking about the beta for version five did i see yeah, yeah could yeah. well be all coming around the birthday time <laughs> a wow. special present for our members sorry i haven't i haven't yeah. dropped a spoiler there by any chance of that. Is it something i shouldn't have said it's okay we'll blame you dave that's fine uh i got an email the other day saying do you want to be part of the beta crowd and it's like okay um <laughs> but yeah it, it, it just it was another one of those things the whole point was if we can identify a pain point for a design engineer let's see if we can solve his problem um, and the other thing that I always used to talk about with Design Spark is it's all about engaging with engineers. These guys may be specialists in their own field and all of a sudden they're being asked to do something that they're not so familiar with. So we don't need to talk down to them. We're certainly talking to people who know their stuff, but they might have a question about 3D modeling. They've never had to do 3D modeling before. Uh, we wanted Design Spark to be the place where they came and asked that first question. How do I get started with 3D modeling? And we could help them get set up uh, easily, quickly, hopefully with no cost to them, and and then they could start designing. So, Design Spark really has been following. I think following that idea forevermore. Certainly in my heart, that was the way I looked at it when I was there, and I still see it as being that way for everybody now. It's it's a resource. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's quite unique as well. That's what kind of drew me into it, and I 
before I was inside the Design Spark bubble, I, I was definitely an active user. And what drew me in was the fact that it wasn't just a, another forum. It was a lot more than that. And it was more than just, here's a piece of free software. And again, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to tend to associate Design Spark with one piece of software or another. But yes. when you then get into the whole platform and you realize that not only is there a, a PCB design tool, there's a mechanical 3D design tool, then you've got an electrical design tool in there as well. Mm. And then you've got all sorts of other tools that exist within there. You've got the libraries of models. There's all sorts there in terms of resources. But the most viable one for me is sort of when I was younger was that I knew that there was always going to be people there with more experience than me that could help me with questions that I had, um, that I could go and learn different things and go and find out about new interesting things that, that I could then go and do myself. And it's just great to see the mix on there. It's not even just a, you know, a place for young engineers or a place for older engineers. There's a real mix of people on there and a true global community there. And it includes people from some of these sort of giants of, of electronics that you normally wouldn't get the chance to speak to. I mean, I, I remember again, before I joined, having conversations with representatives of people like Panasonic and Sony when you're you're working mm. on a project and oh, yeah. they also happen to be a member there so they're answering your questions and it yeah it just it was good that that's what kind of pulled me in and it's just nice to be able to to have all of those um, engineers in one place what sort of things have stood out for you then Pete and you know you mustn't have joined too much after that because you were already there when I came in yeah so I arrived I think I arrived on the first birthday of Design Spot, literally on the first day. You were the uh, present. My first day. <laughs> I was the <laughs> present for the first birthday, yeah. So I went up to London and we, we ran the we ran Design Spot with an agency at the time and I went up to London to train to be a community manager and, and social media guru and uh, that, that that was uh, a really fun times doing that. And I think um, when Design Spot Mechanical came in 2013, um, I, I remember getting because we got a, we got some 3D printers, Dave, didn't we? We went we got the credit oh, yeah. card out, didn't we? The company credit card. <laughs> we went and bought a couple of 3D printers because we used them to support the launch of Design Spot Mechanical, didn't we? When we took it up to we uh, did we the Mozzie Museum in Manchester, wasn't it? It was the Museum of Technology. I can't remember the exact name of it, but yeah, it was the, Museum, the Museum of Science, Technology yeah, up in Manchester. Yeah, and that was amazing. So I remember us getting those 3D printers because we thought, you know what, we need to do some sort of hackathon with our with our new shiny tool. And get a bunch of uh, guys together, engineers, and uh, you know to, to come and take part in this. And of course, we needed some three D printers. So that's when we, uh, I think, we bought a couple of MakerBots, didn't we? And we also built. We did. These, um, they did. Us, they well. did us proud, actually. They did. Well. They did. <laughs> and they're like workhorses. I know you took them to a couple of Maker Fairs, didn't you? And we. And we yeah, we shipped them. them over to Italy at one point. We, yeah. We put them in a box, yeah. sent them to Italy. They went from Italy to Germany. And then they came back to to Oxford, where we were based, and it was you and me, Pete, trying to make them work again after they'd been <laughs> used and abused for a bit. Oh, uh, that was but, funny. Uh, I mean, we, we'd, we'd, we'd had some experience with 3D printing already, because we'd, we'd talked earlier about RepRap. We'd, we'd yeah. got involved in, in... For those people who don't know, RepRap was a, a printer, a 3D printer that you designed and you built yourself from a whole series of components that you bought from RS or wherever else, and then a series of 3D printed components that made up the fabric of the machine. The idea was that then once you'd made your printer, you'd then print a set of those parts so the next person could come along and use those parts for their 3D printer. So it was, um, it was a fantastic kind of egalitarian ideal of how these things, these things work. But I've always, I, I've not really played with 3D printing for a little bit, but I always remember at the time, 
uh, 3D printers never worked quite just at the box the way the manufacturers <laughs> wanted you to no. believe that they would. No. They still uh, don't, it's not, to be honest. It's not, well, yeah, it's not like buying an Epson paper printer and you can buy it, put it on your desk and plug it in and off it will go and print your life's work in, on A4 paper. It's yeah. not quite that simple, no, it's, it? it's more like having a pet. They've all got their own little quirks and you know that they're all slightly different. You can manage to buy two of the same breed and you know they're still going to behave very differently and, yeah, and operate differently. I mean, that's, that's true. That's something that I've learned more than anything over the last few months with the whole 3D print farm that we set up. And yeah, we had yeah. multiple, so we had a lot of Ultimaker printers, for example, but they were all very different in the way that they worked. Um, and, you know, the, the, the way of getting the best results out of each one. So, yeah, but they, yeah. it's crazy how far they've come along. I mean, uh, just from, from when they first started, but there's still a huge sort of rep rap scene now. There is, you know what, I just remember when we were in the office day and we got we got a couple of those printers and we unboxed them and people started to gather around and they started oh, looking yeah. at this and we started printing stuff and they're like, they were like, wow, that's so amazing. And we were like printing little bracelets and chain links yeah. and whistles and, and all that kind of key rings yeah. for everybody. And yeah, I'll do you, I'll do you a whistle. Yeah, come back in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it. And then, but it, the, I remember one of the uh, one of the older ladies there. She was saying that um, I remember exactly this when a fax machine first turned up in the office that I worked in when I was younger and she said it was the same thing people would just gather around and watch this thing and go wow that is amazing you know so we kind of did that and captured that again but with using a 3d printer and and again it, it kind of just you know they, they knew we were all the geeks that sit in the corner and they loved the stuff <laughs> that we did they used to come over and you know step away from their spreadsheets for a bit and then come and watch yeah. us tinker and make things a 3D well, we were always a little bit loud as well which did help Yes, is, that, um, that still happens now. I mean, I remember just a, a couple of years ago, we um, we set up in the summer at Pancras Square. So just in between St. Pancras and King's Cross Station. And we had the big RS truck there and we were showcasing a number of things, including Design Spark. And we had 3D printers on the truck. And that was the one thing that people were still wowed at. Because you, I think after a while, because you say we've now been dealing with this for a long time. And you kind of become a little bit numb to it about how cool it is sometimes yeah. um, until a bit of new technology comes along. But when you come and see there was children on there sort of aged six upwards who were in awe of this machine that was printing things out that they could then potentially go and play with. And likewise, we had a, I remember we had a retired couple who came on and he'd been a civil engineer his whole life mm. and he really liked to know how things worked. And he was just dumbfounded with... The 3d printer and what it could do and what it could achieve and when we explain the types of materials now that exist and sort of the industries that it's being used in for prototyping and, and actually for final products and it is unbelievable um, when you, you take a step back and, and think yeah. of where it's come in such a short space of time yeah i, I had the same thing in rome so we, we sent these couple of maker bots over to rome for the maker fair in rome um and i can't tell you the name of the building it's a very impressive building in, in the middle of rome and the Maker Fair was wall-to-wall -wall people doing 3D printing. There's all sorts mm. of people are 3D printing with concrete, people 3D printing with uh, with all sorts of different materials. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate. It didn't yeah. seem to matter. We, st we just had these two standard MakerBots on the stand. We were printing. I mean, it was basically a full-time job for me to keep them running. But we almost always had people three and four deep watching them work i remember we had a couple of guys from the uh, the italian uh, paramilitary police the carabinieri mm. incredibly sharp looking guys come along and they were with us for a good hour absolutely fascinated by this piece of kit 
and Making watching sure not 3D printing weapons probably well they, they were, that, <laughs> it was at that time that the there were there were all sorts of stories coming out about the fact that yes you could 3D print a pistol yeah, yeah. Um, and I maybe they that. were particularly interested at that time for that very reason I don't know but they were I mean they were lovely and polite and, and you know fantastic guys they just seem to be fascinated with the technology and it's yeah. still carried on now I mean the we went to the Maker Fair just a couple of years ago in Rome yeah. and there's still an entire hall just dedicated to 3D printing and it's still probably one of the few technologies that is then still dotted around all of the other halls as well. So there were certain ones that were just around transport, but they would still inevitably have 3D printing in there. But in the main 3D printing hall, it was just for me how much it had come on from just being, like you say, a lot of those little keyrings and whistles and the, the very small mm. things that took very little time to do. And there was some impressive stuff in there. I mean, there were mm. full-size Iron Man suits that people had 3D printed. There were oh, yeah. cars that they'd 3D printed and actually operated everything apart from the engine, obviously. Um, but it was, yeah, incredible where it had come from. But um, yeah, I mean, Maker Fairs were probably one of my highlights since coming into Design Spark. I remember we, we attended the, the Maker Fair in Rome. Um, I remember Pete interviewing Massimo Banzi with oh. a... Um, was, a, a makeshift a microphone. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember being absolutely starstruck, thinking, "Wow, this is the yeah, man who, who has started well. Arduino." Um, yeah. And Pete's there interviewing him with a, an RS screwdriver with a lapel mic um, <laughs> taped onto the end of it. And actually, it was one of the coolest things because everybody Everyone loved the that. microphone, and we then took that on to to all the other shows that we did afterwards. But just through Maker Fairs, we've seen so many really cool things. So many excellent tech startups that yeah. are just starting off and you've seen them develop into to more now um yeah. but in the uk again that's where we'd first met colin first face to face and yeah it's yeah the, those sorts of events you start to really see the buzz around it and although it's not necessarily serious engineering in all cases it's definitely that step into it and it's it was really good for me to see that and to see so many people who are passionate about electronics in particular Wow, I mean, yeah, the maker scene is just huge. I mean, since like the advent of Raspberry Pi and Arduino, I mean, and for me, you know, just on the Raspberry Pi front, you know, being being a part of that journey right from the beginning when I met Eben, um, just as he'd been on the BBC with, um, oh, I can't remember, the Rory Kathleen Jones and talking about this wonderful little credit card size computer that you can teach kids coding with. And, you know, and they've sold, um, I think they've sold about 30 million boards now, you know, yeah. you know globally. And, and RS, you know, so we, we do build some of those down in the pen code, um, the old Sony pen code factory where they used to make CRT TVs back in the day. TVs, yeah. Um, I used to go, yeah, I, remember, I actually used to yeah. go and sell to them while they still made yeah, TVs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they had set up boxes and all sorts down there, didn't they? But. But yeah, I wrote this little blog about Raspberry Pi and uh, coding for kids. And the next thing you know, yeah, RS is building this thing. And um, by within the sort of two or three years, they built like five million. And now, you know, they've got like, what, four or five different flavors of it. And they, they say 30, 30 million plus, I think they've built these things now since sort of last year. So it's been incredible. And, and the amount of companies that have span out from that Raspberry Pi as well, maker type outfits and startups and I still remember uh, there's a, a guy um, called uh, Jesse uh, and uh, and his friend Ryan who popped into uh, the Oxford office where we were at the time in uh, in when we were at RS Components up by the mini factory and uh, he basically was he created this awesome um, you know what I'm talking about Robbie I'm going to tell about this in a minute aren't I yeah <laughs> I need to cut this bit out forget that forget that <laughs> bit last bit right I'll tell that in a minute so uh, so it's about Raspberry Pi yeah and then about Pi Superman. Yeah, and then okay, so I was like, so three, two, one. 
Uh, and then we also started um, a Raspberry Pi jam as well at the uh, the office. And uh, and if you don't know what a jam is, a jam is basically a group of in- enthusiasts that get together, if you like. And there was a guy, I think it was, I think a guy called Te- Techno Teacher. He's on um, Twitter. He started this Raspberry Pan, uh, Pi circuit that was kind of not officially uh, sanctioned by Raspberry Pi at the time, but it, I think it you know eventually very quickly did. And he set up this sort of meetup group, and anybody could go and set up their own under the Raspberry Pi. Uh, thing and and every I think every month we used to run one and we got all people from the local area come in they show their projects we'd have a couple of beers afterwards down the pub and it was great it was really good fun we did that for probably a couple of years um, and so that's when I met Alex Gibson who was on on the show the other week he, he was into 3D printing funny enough um, but uh, that that was that was great fun doing that and then and then we moved on when we did a project uh, that uh, actually included Alex and, and Jude Pullin, uh, another friend of the Design Spark, where we built this um, Superman capsule that uh, Mattel Toys had come to us and said, I remember you know, that. hey, that was very cool. The, yeah, they, and they just said, hey, we've got this toys, extreme toys travel campaign that we're doing. It's the, it was Mattel Italy. And uh, they said to us, can you send a Superman action figure into space? And we went, uh, yeah. I had no idea that we were going to be able to do it at that point. right? <laughs> so I literally just reached out to a bunch of people that I knew through the community and, and, and other people. And we uh, we found a guy called um, Dave Ackerman, actually, who, who does Pie in the Sky. And he's done various things on with TV personalities and stuff and putting stuff into space. And he helped us basically put this Superman action figure into space uh, with the help of a bunch of engineers uh, who helped us uh, design the boards um, and the tracker unit. And, and Jude Pullin did the um, the capsule. We modelled that out of uh, plastic cardboard called Corex. Uh, and then we stuck it in a big weather balloon and we went down to Dave's house one early one morning and Ross on Y. Uh, got permission, obviously, from the air traffic control people. Uh, used a bunch of weather prediction software so we knew roughly where it was going to land. And we basically let this thing go. And um, you've seen the videos, right? If, if you've not seen it, anyone who's listening, go to um, Superman Space Travel. Just Google Superman Space Travel, either in YouTube or in Google, and you'll see the video we created. And it's just this amazing journey of Superman leaving the ground and going up to 22 miles high. Um, and uh, where we eject him, uh, where you see the curvature of the earth and you know the darkness of space, and he parachutes out and he finds his way back to earth. We got a tracker in him. We cut him open. We X-rayed him to make sure that you know we could find the right place to put the tracker. And then we put a tracker in the capsule. And then we went out in a car with these Yagi aerials, pointing them out into the countryside and running around the countryside, a bit like some orienteering exercise, to find these um, uh, you know two trackers that are attached to Superman and the capsule. And it, it was great. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and uh, I always remember one of the, the bits, so the capsule itself, when it landed, it landed about 10 miles away from where we launched it because it was uh, quite a calm day. And I don't know if any of you are Superman geeks, right? But do you know what the, the Superman S means on, on the Superman logo? Do you know what that stands for? I don't. I always just assumed Superman. No. <laughs> so the Kryptonian kind of translation of that S on Superman actually means hope, Okay. So this Superman capsule landed in the middle of the countryside on a lane next to a farm, just missing a BMW, by the way, on a lane. It was called Hope Lane. Well, and I'm like, it's meant no to be. Way. This is like incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and Superman himself landed on the biggest tree you can imagine in the middle of a field. Right? There was like I don't know, 
probably a, a 10 acres worth of, of of grass and then one tree in the middle of it and that's where Superman landed right in the middle of it. I'm sure <laughs> on the video it was a perfect landing. Yeah, no, we cheated. <laughs> <laughs> so, for artistic effect, yeah, we landed him on his feet, but no, he landed in a tree. But but that, that was an incredibly inspiring project and that had a Raspberry Pi in it. Um, that was the point of the story. So that had a Raspberry Pi in it. So we put Raspberry Pi, Raspberry Pi cameras, a uh, bunch of Python code. We built our own trackers using our design spot PCB. Um, we didn't use the the. I think we did. No, we might have used a three D mechanical tool. I can't remember the, the design spot mechanical. The uh, mount print the, the mounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. The cameras were three D printed. And I wasn't there at the time, but I only know that because we've still got the the actual capsule. And it survived. Oh yeah. Because again, that's another one of those things as you mentioned earlier, Dave, with the the three D printers. I remember we took the um, Superman in space, the, the action figure and the pod um, with us to make affairs, again, both in the UK yeah. and in Rome. He's been all and wherever the world, they've yeah. been, it's, you know, it really attracts people in because we've had the video running and it's just oh, yeah. crazy to think, oh, this, this thing right in front of me here is actually being to the edge of space. Mm-hmm. And, and people people go, people I, go, did it come back? Can you touch it? Is it radioactive? <laughs> like, no, it's not it hasn't been to Chernobyl. It's been to the edge <laughs> of space. It hasn't been to Chernobyl. I was going to say, you took it to Electronica, Pete. Um, I remember I being there. It was in 2014. You were there. And... The interest, the whole RS stand, and RS go all out when it comes to Electronica. They're big, yeah. fancy stands. Yeah. The one part of Electronica that always, again, had three deep people crowded around was that Superman to Space it was. Uh, section. And yeah. I don't think you stopped for four days talking about it. You just no, constantly... Loads of press interviews. Funny enough, when we did Electronica a couple of years later, I remember our CEO, Lindsay, who was doing some press talk, and I was talking with him about the IoT setup we had. And he was saying, oh, yeah... And Pete put a Superman action figure into space a couple of years ago. And he says, I think we should start a campaign to put Pete into space. <laughs> I, <remember laughs> I need that. to remind him of that. Because <laughs> I would love to go into space. Um, as you know, right? But um, but they actually, you know, they actually put a Raspberry, a Raspberry Pi into space. Tim Pete took a Raspberry Pi really? into space. Yeah, onto the space station. and Onto yeah. the space station. Because I remember with, they um, were doing things with schools, weren't they? Where you could get your code onto, the, onto the Pi yeah. in Sense space. Hat. Yeah, they put a sensor on it. But do you know, I remember Eben telling me, um, he was saying that to get that thing into space, and he showed me like the, the depth of paperwork that I had to go through to make sure it wasn't going to crash, like, you know, <laughs> the, the the Soyuz rocket going up or whatever, or the um, or the, or the International Space and stuff. But yeah, it was like, you know, you t- probably the RS catalogue, Dave, as it was back in the 1980s, yeah. there's like 10 books. It was almost that much worth of approval paperwork to get this Raspberry Pi wow. into the into space i believe it was it was pretty pretty mad but then but, um, raspberry pi's entered mainstream I, I i deal with industrial manufacturers some, some of these big big automotive sorry automotion i'll start again dave the big <laughs> <laughs> the big automation companies um yeah. big german companies big french companies big spanish companies names you'd, you'd know they're all building raspberry pis into parts of their equipment yeah. They're building housings that you can put your own Raspberry Pi in. They're building bits of kit with Raspberry Pis already built in. So it's not like it's just for hobbyists. It's entered mainstream industrial use. But that's what's incredible because you do. I mean, I've, I've walked around factories where they're using Raspberry Pis to monitor all sorts yeah. of things. Um, I've walked around exhibitions where the majority of the stand seems to be running on Pis. And then the flip side of that is I've brought a Raspberry Pi home and my six-year-old daughter at the time was able to set it up within about 40 seconds yeah and that's that's the the perfection of it is that this it's so versatile in what it can do 
but it, it really is fit for people to just get started if they want to, but can be used for much more advanced things as well. Again, yeah, no, Pi for me, I think it's got to be up there as one of the, the key achievements of that first 10 years. And that, a lot of that is obviously down to you, Pete, which is, is great. Um, but it's just this 10 years, is, there's so much. And I think this is the, the other thing I love about DesignSpark and particularly about working for DesignSpark is that no two days ever seem to be the same. No, and yeah. as we've said, we've, we've mentioned a lot of different projects there. You know, we've had on top of that, I mean, I, during my time, I've, I've been down to the Houses of Parliament. I've, I've had, um, you know, I've been working with the top 30 engineers under the age of 30 um, as part of a BrightSparks Awards programme. I've been working on um, projects involving, you know, oil tankers and and the monitoring of them, creating new robots for for that purpose. You know, obviously things like podcasts. We've got this one. We've got the Design Spark podcast. We've got the Engineering Edge with Dr. Lucy Rogers. You know, it's it, yeah. no two days are the same, and it's because we we're all passionate about what we do, and what we want to make sure is that there's really good content there that people want to read, want to listen to, want to watch. So it's. I'm, I'm actually just really looking forward to seeing what the next 10 years brings because it's moved on so much and there's yeah. been so many different variations on what Design Spark is to people over that 10 years that I don't even know where it will be in another 10 years time, but it definitely will be bigger and better. And the other thing I'd just like to say is I don't think there's anyone else doing quite what Design Spark does. Um, I think there are plenty of forums, there are plenty of communities and groups out there, all of whom doing fantastic things. Uh, and, you know, between the three of us, we could probably sit here and name a dozen of them without pausing for breath. Yeah. But the fact is that I think Design Spark is a little bit special. I don't think anybody's doing quite what Design Spark does. That sound means it's time for our special guest interview. Design engineer Jude Pullen, who starred in the BBC's Big Life Fix series, has been busy working on a new radio theme project, and Pete caught up with him this week to discuss his progress so far. Okay, hi everyone. So I'm with my friend Jude Pullen here. Uh, Jude is a engineer, maker, card modelling Jedi, and uh, has done some really cool things with us over the years. And we're going to have a little chat about a project that Jude's done for us for our tenth birthday. But uh, first of all, hi Jude, how are you doing? Good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. Jolly good, good. So good. So how long is it? I've I've known you now. I think when did we first? I think we first did a project with you with a raspberry pi case wasn't it that's the first time i think we met can you remember that what, what did what did you do you used cocktail sticks that's about all i remember <laughs> i i can remember it so if you look at my profile picture on a few sort of maker websites there's a picture of me at a desk with a tripod hanging from the ceiling and basically that that kicked off when i was at dyson yeah and i was working in my living room doing the doing that exact project when i when i had that photo taken so it's quite a sentimental old photo that of uh that must be back in about 2011 i think it was okay yeah well yeah probably was because i think the pie well maybe it was 12 i'm trying to think when the pie came out i'll maybe lose track 12, of that sure, sure it might have been 2012 definitely, definitely version one with yeah the, uh, <laughs> with the yellow audio yeah yeah, I remember you using some tic tac boxes and and uh, all sorts of bits and bobs, and I, I was just amazed by what you can do with a piece of cardboard. It's just incredible. <laughs> so, look, how did you get into all this sort of stuff? How, how did you get into making and engineering, and where did where did that journey start for you? Well, it, it, in truth, without sounding, uh, I mean, I sort of abhor the um, 
the American everything started in a garage type thing, but but actually it's kind of true for me in that it it, it you know I grew up in Cumbria. Uh, which for anyone who isn't familiar with that, that's also known as the Lake District in the north of England, very yeah. rural, a lot of sheep, a lot of lakes, not a lot to do. And so <laughs> you end up making your own entertainment. Um, and my parents, uh, they, they weren't broke, but they weren't washed with cash. They were uh, running a business at the time. So uh, it was a little bit sort of like, how can you be resourceful? How can I get the most from a little? Um, so that's really sort of where I think I sort of... It, it wasn't that I, I necessarily <laughs> took to cardboard out of some sort of uh, design or aesthetic. It just yeah. was abundant and cheap, really. Yeah. So, so, I, I, so you kind of self-taught, I guess, or I mean, I've seen some of the skills you've got. <laughs> Self, self-taught cardboardist. <laughs> Jedi. Yeah. Wanna, yeah. That's it. <laughs> who was your um, who? Yeah. Who was your Obi Wan cardboard Kenobi? Who, who helped well, you out there? Well, strangely, that that one sort of. You know, it's, it's it's funny, actually, because I am self-taught in ceramics, um, which is why even though I'm right-handed, I, I technically throw left-handed, and then I subsequently was, this was pointed out to me, so I also learned how to throw right-handed. Yeah. Um, and it's a sort of similar journey with cardboard in that I'd always been able to, should we say, hold my own um, in sort of DT classes at school and all these sorts of things. And then it was actually when I got to a job at Dyson that there were there were truly cardboard ninjas there mm. um, because in Dyson it's almost a little bit of a sort of uh, rites of passage that you learn how to make things in cardboard before they let you loose on 3D printing. Right. I mean, don't forget, now 3D printing is cheap as chips, yeah. but back then, you know, it, it wasn't something that you would just be super casual and knock out, you know, a £2,000 print, uh, which it might have been for just something the size of a coffee cup. Um, so cardboard was a bit of a sort of rites of passage and, and, and there's a funny irony that most sort of, uh, um, engineering plastic wall thicknesses are actually pretty close to one ply corrugated cardboard. So it it really isn't actually a sort of terrible approximation. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny how these things coalesce and, and, and work quite nicely as a substitute. Yeah, so I I, cause I remember because you you helped us out on the Superman project. So anyone who who's not seen that, it, there's a, a project we did with Mattel Toys. Um, again, that was probably six years ago, unbelievably. I think this summer, and um, Jude helped us put together a capsule to send a Superman action figure into space. So if you if you go onto Google and or onto YouTube and you Google Superman space travel, you can see that adventure. You can actually see Jude's amazing cardboard capsule, and that actually used it was it corex or i can't remember that stuff it's like plastic cardboard isn't it yeah i thought you were going to say my amazing hair from space <laughs> i was hoping but um <laughs> yes. As, yeah. as, as i think i was definitely the hairiest in the team but yes the, <laughs> yeah i've got none so almost yeah <laughs> it's going it's going um yeah. but but anyway yeah no you're right corex for anyone who doesn't know is the stuff that for sale signs are made out of or at least in the oh, uk they are yeah. Um, and so it's very cheap, very abundant, and obviously takes a lot of abuse. You know, it takes rain, UV, wind, everything. Um, and so I I kind of realized that, hang on a minute, this stuff's pretty close to basically super heavy-duty cardboard. And so the, the, the problem came, as is always, you can't just actually stick this stuff together very easily with super glue or no. indeed glue gun because it basically it's uh, polypropylene and it just doesn't want to stick to itself um, or indeed EVA glues, uh, hot glue gun. So what happened was I ended up inventing a tool that allowed you to, to create a joint between the two things 
um, from cardboard and I realised it worked on Corex. And so I suddenly went from having a useless material to an incredible material. Mm. Um, and it meant that, I hope you don't mind me telling people, but the original budget for the space pod that you gave me with, was 500 quid. Yeah. But actually the pod itself costs a tenner. And yeah. so I was always, I was always sort of like really proud of that. But of course, I do hasten to add very quickly. I always, I always tell this this, this this old story to students. But I always say, of course, the five hundred, the rest of the five hundred quid was spent on the fact that we went through a design process and a journey to get there. Yeah. And so it wasn't that you get these things for free, but no. you, the the general public. Yes, you get this. You, you get the benefit of all that knowledge and time and prototyping and working yeah. it out that you could make a space pod. I think that there's Domino's had quite a bit of money off us as well because we did pizza modelling, <laughs> didn't pizza based modelling. <laughs> do you remember in the hack space yeah. down at Reading, we had the pizza boxes out and we, we, yeah, we basically used those to do some capsules. But yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was sort of almost proud of that. There are still the grease stains on it, sort of uh, back in the day. But I mean, it, it is that it is that truth though that when you're yeah. on a roll and there's a really good team and a good energy, actually going off into a corner and sitting on a CAD station, it doesn't keep the energy high. Whereas lashing together some cardboard in sort of half an hour with everybody all hands on deck making their own respective bits. Um, I mean, it was just a great vibe. I mean, you know, it's it's. I'm not being paid to say this, but that's why it's always been amazing working with RS. Is that not only are the projects good fun, yeah, but you usually put together a good ensemble. So it's a little bit like, you know, you kind of had me at would you like to <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's always been good fun. You know, I'm sure when I ring you up, Jude, you always go, "What's he going to ask me to do now?" <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, Cheryl, my wife, is always like, was it Pete? And, uh, like, yeah, and she's like, all right, it's, it's on then, you know. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I know, so, so we've done a few other things with you. I know over the years we've done hackathons with you. I think um, when we launched Design Spot Mechanical, um, and it's a special treat for anyone up there who's a Design Spot Mechanical user on our birthday, we've got a new version coming out. Um, and, and we'll come on to that in a bit more in a minute. But uh, we did some hackathons. I put the mozzie, I think, in the museum um, Museum um, of Science and something or other, isn't it? In Manchester, whatever it stands for. Um, yeah. That was pretty cool. Uh, and we, I think that was when we launched Design Spot Mechanical originally. And I know you were on the teams there. And uh, I can't remember what you guys yeah. designed. Was it a carrot of some sort of carrot watering thing? No, we, we, did, we did a thing where I was quite proud of it, actually, because usually 3D printing, you know, you just sit there and you look at it. Yeah. And it, and it gets on with it, which is cool. And I mean, we were still at the sort of beginning of, you know, the early sort of Prusa uh, rep rap printers were, were very, very new back then with, uh, of course, Adrian, uh, one of the, the founders of that. But the thing we did is we created, um, we realized that the 3D printers, you could pause them mid layer. And so we got a water filter, uh, like one of those carbon water filters printed oh, yeah, basically a cup, popped it in on pause then told it to continue building and so it literally encapsulated it and this got around the problem of you couldn't use glue mm. or at least we couldn't use a glue uh, to create a water filter and so this meant that actually the 3d printing became its own adhesive and it sort of welded it to it now mm. it's not to say that we put it through a industrialized process for sort of rigorous health and safety like i would at dyson but it was definitely a darn sight better than putting a, a filter in at loose fit where dirty water would just obviously bleed around the edges um so i thought that was really cool actually that we had we had almost like used the a, a rarely utilized property of 3d printers which is that you can pause them yeah 
Yeah, no, I mean that they are incredible tools, and I know. I think that was my probably my first experience was with with three D printers. I mean, we bought a really? couple of MakerBots, yeah, back then, you know, and uh, we made friends with a say Adrian Bowyer, the the RepRap um, father of RepRap um, printing, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, I'd seen it on the TV and stuff, but um, it was still quite early days back then, and we were talking, I think it was twenty thirteen. Uh, that we mm. did after double check, but but yeah, they are incredible machines, and you know the, the technology is evolving. But um, they're, they're much more affordable, I think, when, than than they used to be. But um, you know, and there's lots of brands out there now. But yeah, they are they are an incredible tool. So, and yeah, and you yeah also... we won't get into brands, but I'm I'm yeah. sitting next to one that costs two hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, and and I just mean like the quality is certainly capable of doing most things. A a graduate all the way through to young professional um i wouldn't call myself a young professional i'm probably a bit old but, you know that's flattering um but you know what i mean it, it definitely gets the job done for 200 quid i can't think of many things that you can buy that are quite as sophisticated for just 200 quid yeah you know? um and so i think it i think there's this really is an unusual dawn for sort of designers and and, and amateurs and enthusiasts and i think that's the thing and it you know, it's always seen as a pejorative, isn't it? You know, the the amateur is somehow lesser than the professional. But I, I think there's there's increasing room and opportunity for people to 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 essentially show what they can do out there. And I mean, of course, that's what you've been championing for years, Pete. So I'll, I'll hand the mic back to you on that one. <laughs> and where you think all that's going? Yeah, well, it it, it is. I mean, it's just incredible um, how how this technology is evolving and how useful it is, and and actually, you know, how somebody in their shed can create something, you know, like Adrian, you know, um, that is kind of, in fact, you know, the RepRap printings has actually inspired companies like MakerBot. You know, for example, they're built on a RepRap yeah. engine. You know, if you like, so you know, it is incredible when you see um, even things like Raspberry Pi. You know, that again was designed just for kids to code. How those have now been adopted by first of all middle-aged geeks, and then kids, and then now business. And they've said thirteen million boards. I think they sold at the end of last year. Thirty wow. million. It's incredible. But uh, but there you go. But so I mean, you've done. You've worked some for some really cool companies. You know, you've worked for Dyson. You've worked for Lego. You've worked for Sugru. But you've also done some really cool TV stuff recently as well. So uh, I think one of my yeah. favourite shows that you've done, um, well, in fact, I think that they're both great, but the Big Life Fix that you did was absolutely amazing. And, and some of the, you know, you're using some of your skills to help um, some of those those uh, people who, who needed help getting hacks to make their life better. And I think the one you did for James was was incredible with the, the camera. Was, was, mm. And that utilised a lot of 3D printing, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, that one was sort of like a, a perfect 3D printing one in that, Essentially, we had to mechanize a digital camera, so a DSLR thing with a big, big old lens on the front of it. Um, and, and it's because essentially James, before his condition worsened, um, he, 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 was, he was really into his photography and, can, and could use a professional camera. Mm -hmm. And so he really wanted to have that full suite of things available to him. And it, it's quite a sort of poignant ask because he wasn't just sort of asking it to be a diva he was asking it because it ultimately was and did become his his legacy as his illness was terminal yeah um and and so that was that was very you know i think i think what was unusual about the show was that even though sort of the the trailer might have alluded to the design really i think you know sort of 90 percent of the story's gravity was around the emotional relationship between the designers and the the people participating and yeah. so you're always sort of um indelibly you know sort of 
reminded of those things yeah i agree it's incredible stories that you guys did there and i think it's it's so inspiring as well especially for younger kids who are watching who you can show that actually engineering has such amazing value not you know just in business but to actually really touch people's lives and and make a real difference and you can do this with you know relatively inexpensive tools and it's just your imagination that is the limit you know you can do some incredible things for not a lot of money, you know. So, uh, and the other thing you did, which was absolutely brilliant, was you did the series with um, David Jason, didn't you, on uh, on Channel Four? <laughs> and the great was it the Great British Engineering? What well, I can't remember what it was called. What great was it British called? Inventions. Inventions. Yeah. And wow, I mean, what was it like working with you know legend that he is, David Jason? Uh, if, I, I guess he's I don't know he's well well known around the world in the UK. He's a he's a national yeah, treasure, obviously. He, he, obviously, yeah, in the UK, but I think even America still has a sort of vague idea of him, but. But, but I think he's uh, yeah it's fair to say he's rooted in uh, but I think there's always surprises like I think he's quite big in Australia apparently oh, really? like okay. this. so so I think dare I say it where the expats have gone they've uh, been the messengers of the uh, the, the legend that, that still is David Jason and um, yeah I mean it's one of those things where they say don't meet your heroes and so you always have a little bit of like I wonder what it'd be like but yeah. actually it's, I'm so pleased to say he was absolutely lovely um, you know, extremely, you know, sort of, you know, professional on camera and just very nice off camera as well. So it was um, it was one of those things where really the the pressure was that I was sort of thinking, God, I'm with a TV legend. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think um, the producers and directors mind me saying, but essentially that that whole sequence that we did, I mean, we we went through about 10 different prototypes two rocket launches yeah. um, and we built a, a Rube Goldberg machine and that was basically shot in a week. Um, <laughs> and so it was just, I mean, God, I, you know, there's sleep and then there's sleep after you've done a day's TV. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. It's like, I can imagine. You sleep like the dead. You really do. And and if anything, I couldn't, I couldn't spend a lot of time feeling sorry for myself because I'm like, David at the time was, um, I should say, Sir David, forgive me, um, <laughs> when, when speaking publicly. Yeah. But he was 79 at the time. And so oh, you're wow. thinking, yeah. God, if he's still powering through the day at eight o'clock at night, then uh, I've got nothing to complain about. So, <laughs> I mean, he's just he's just extraordinary. And I think the ability for him to be at once incredibly knowledgeable because he is actually an engineer by training, um, but at the same time, quite humble and allowed, you know, me space to you know, to do whatever my part was without sort of uh, being being funny about it, for want yeah. of a better word. He was just genuinely a joy to, to work with. Um, Amazing. That's great. You're so, hoping for some dirt there, but sadly not. No, not at all. Not at all. I think he's an amazing character and say a very, very much a national treasure here in the UK. Yeah. So, so I guess that kind of brings us on to, you know, the Radio Globe project, which I'm, I'm super excited about to share with everybody. So, as I said earlier, this is our tenth birthday coming up for Design Spark uh, when we launched back in July uh, in 2010, and uh, I can't believe we're uh, almost ten. I've been with uh, Design Spark for, for nine years myself, and uh, we wanted to do something really special that kind of utilised engineering and and some of our tools and that kind of stuff. So uh, of course I phoned up you, Jude, um, knowing that uh, you'd be up for the challenge, and uh, <laughs> you came up with some amazing ideas. And I know we finally settled on 
on the Radio Globe and um, you showed me this website uh, that was absolutely amazing and, and people I've mentioned to actually, uh, it's addictive, you can't get away from it, but there's a site called Radio Garden which basically allows you to navigate around radio stations around the world and and yeah, so tell us about how, how um, what you're building for us kind of, kind of sort of brewed from there really. So yeah, it was kind of one of those... Um... You know, I don't, I don't often get to feel I've ever owned the Picasso quote of, of great artist Steele, but in this case, I sort of actually felt I kind of truly knew what he was getting at, in that, for anyone who doesn't know, Radio Garden is basically a, a Chrome browser thing where you can scroll around Google Maps and it'll highlight the radio stations. And I, I was shown this by a friend, uh, uh, Gaia, um, and she she's just said, oh, you think you'll this, you'll find this cool? And so it stayed in the back of my mind for about six months doing nothing. <laughs> and then I suddenly sort of thought, you know, and I think I sent you these. I, I probably should save the text, which was slightly crazy <laughs> of Pete going, Pete, Pete, I've got it. I've got the idea. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 Eureka like, moment, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it was just one of those weird things where usually I do a very sort of like considered design process and lots of post-it notes. And actually... This one had very little post-it notes and suddenly the idea fell into place and it just felt 100% right and intuitive. Yeah. But I have friends like Gaia to thank for the fact that they had sort of continued to sort of bombard me with crazy stuff. And so, the, 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 and it's not criticism of Radio Garden, but the thing I felt that it missed was that it's always that thing of screen time. You're always got your nose in a computer or nose on a, on a device and I thought, wouldn't it be so nice to make this a physical product? Because, you know, I don't know whether you remember, you know, um, we're probably showing our age here, Pete. Most kids don't do this. But I remember, like, coming up to a globe at school and it was an incredibly expensive thing. Yeah. And, you know, you, you truly saw the entire world laid out at incredible detail and did sort of have this moment of awe of just thinking, God, we're this tiny little speck. And, you know, you could go anywhere in the world. Um, and so I just felt it was such a lovely project to to sort of make physical as opposed to digital. And it's not that, you know, I mean, you know me enough, Pete, that I'm not anti-digital. I've done loads of stuff in IoT, but mm. this this one really felt like it needed to come out of the screen badly yeah. um, and be an artifact and be something yeah. playful that, yeah. that you Hands know, on. Even, even, even literally my, it's past the, the toddler test, or I should say my four-year-old, <laughs> It, it was amazing. He watched me do it once and then he got it and was able yeah. to navigate and he understood it's not in the ocean after a couple of seconds and it's on the land. And he was there going, oh, I like this one, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was somewhere in Bra just north of Brazil, actually. I think it was called Cayenne. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's just it's just an incredible feeling, actually, to do it. And, and I think it is that little bit of magic where most people just think, wow, that was quick. You mean it just got the 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 radio station in a couple of seconds i think it blows people's minds that i mean you I take think, it for yeah. granted in a browser but when it's happening in a physical product for some reason that's really impressive isn't it yeah no it's an incredible looking thing and, and um when we, we should uh, give we, a shout to don on that as well absolutely don, don, don robson uh my my partner in crime uh, these sorts of things at, at dyson did uh, all the hard work and smart stuff <laughs> on the uh on the actual engineering of that on the, on the coding and stuff yeah yeah but, i mean it's great i mean it's got an element of everything isn't it? it's got 3d printing it's got cad design it's got uh, we've even managed to squeeze a, a pcb in there now there's a hat to go on on top of the raspberry pi so it's got a raspberry pi in it it's got high precision yeah. rotary encoders 
Um, and it's got a nice little LCD screen interface, isn't it? And like you say, it's just an incredible piece of engineering, and uh, I can't wait to share it with everybody. And uh, what we've done is we've shared on Design Spark, actually, Jude's journey. He's written a diary, and it sort of steps through um, the challenges he's come across and how he's overcome them, and kind of a you know start to finish, almost if you like, about uh, the conception of it right the way through to the to the physical thing. So. Um, yeah, I really can't wait to share that. I'll start playing with it. Uh, I'll have to come and pick it up from your house you know, very soon and <laughs> I'll bring it back and I'll stop, I'll start tinkering with it. And uh, as I say, we'll share that um, as part of our birthday journey um, later on in the month of July. Um, we've got a bit of a, a calendar going, so I think it's around the 20th. I think we're going to officially unveil the, the Design Spark Radio Globe uh, inspired by Radio Garden and the, the heritage of RS components, obviously, which which did begin in radio, which mm. is uh, kind of iconic. So, uh, so great. Look, Jude, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been brilliant. It's a pleasure. And uh, looking forward to doing loads more cool projects with you in the future as well. Um, but yeah, um, great stuff. And as I say to everybody, when this lockdown is over, which it kind of is already, and, but the pubs aren't open yet, but we'll definitely oh, man, go for a cheeky one. beer. This is it. This is it. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Pete, and uh, all the team at uh, Design Spark. It's uh, it's it's been an honour and a privilege. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Thanks. Cheers, then. Bye. So, in the next part of the show, we're going to have a discussion around which project you would create to mark Design Spark's 10th birthday if you had an unlimited budget. Now, Pete, you talked about a milk float in one of our episodes last week, so you can't use that one. But <laughs> if you had an unlimited budget, what would you do? Right, well, I think you guys probably know what my favourite film is in the whole world, right? Um, back to the Future. So Definitely Back to the Future. For, oh, for me, it's got to be a DeLorean. I would love a DeLorean. I did look uh, at trying to get one. I mean, they're... They're just ridiculously priced. So like, I think, you know, when I looked at three or four years ago, you could buy a dilapidated one for like £10,000. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's a lot, it's far too much money, even for midlife crisis territory. But I would love to get a DeLorean and basically recreate the Back to the Future, probably the version with Mr. Fusion on, so that'd be Back to the Future 2. Um, yeah. And uh, I would, you know, go inside and, and I'd probably use things like Raspberry Pis and Arduinos, which I imagine a lot of these guys who have built them probably utilise to put in there. And uh, I'd probably make it electric though, right? So, I'd, you know, like probably take a Tesla uh, chassis or something and stick it on top. And uh, yeah, I, w I would build one of them and I'd go on like a massive adventure and drive it everywhere. There's probably certain towns that you could go to as well, Pete, that would feel like you were going back in time as well. Yeah. If you <laughs> Stop you there, Robbie. You'll probably get into trouble if you keep going down that route. <laughs> Absolutely. So there you go. That's me, DeLorean, definitely. What about you, Dave? Well, it's um, it, my official link to Design Spark finished some years ago, although as you can, as listeners can tell, I'm, I'm, I've never really left. Uh, once part of the Design Spark team, it, it never really goes away. So I, I'm still very, very proud, very happy to be part of the, the extended Design Spark family. And funnily enough, one of the things that I wanted to do, Design Spark's done since the Sequest project that Pete was involved in, the, the idea of an autonomous... Oh, we haven't told anyone about that yet, Dave, but we can, Are we not we allowed can release to talk the secret about it? if you want. We can talk about it a little bit if you want, because I have done a little bit of a We did talk about it at Electronica two years ago. Oh, yes, yeah, so we did. <laughs> well, it was there. Yeah, all right, sure. okay. All engineering projects take time. That's the dementia <laughs> kicking in there, Pete. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it's uh, that was that was one of the ones that I really wanted to do because I remember you and I, Pete, years ago while I was still part of the gang, oh, uh, yeah. we had a conversation um, with you, me, and the other Pete. We were talking about actually a, a water cooler bottle. Oh, and we were just going to yeah, 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 we we're going to yeah. do the bottle yeah. thing with electronics in it, and we were working out ways of letting sea currents take this this big bottle with electronics in it around wherever to to monitor how the uh the currents worked but then there's all sorts of issues with putting plastics into the ocean obviously that's become a very big thing nowadays um but the idea of an autonomous boat or vehicle was something that that now has it turns out been done so if if i can't do that um is there's a little thing that i do uh the church in in the local village here they do a a christmas tree festival every year and the idea is that local organisations, whether it's the Cubs or the schools or local businesses, they put a Christmas tree together and put it in the Christmas in, into the church for people to see at Christmas. And it's a lot of fun because lots of different local organisations have a go. And I did one this Christmas just gone with connectors because I am, I don't know if anybody listening to this <laughs> knows, but I am actually connector geek in my professional life. That's what I do for a living. I, I write about connectors. So I, I did this Christmas tree out of connectors but to my eye, it was a little bit small and a little bit too subtle. <laughs> I want a big, big Christmas tree. I want bits to be 3D printed. I want bits to flash. I want bits to light up. I want there to be connectors all over it. I want this thing to be 15 feet tall and nobody's going it, to... It would be epic. It would probably take me all year. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd, I'd want to make an impact, I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know what? We did build one of those with Raspberry Pis one year. Oh, um, you spoiled that idea as well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we had a load of Raspberry Pis that were broken or returned, I think. And Alan in, in the in the lab back down oh, at yes, the RS yeah. HQ, he built um, he built a, a Christmas tree, and I think all the lit all the LEDs. He disconnected them up with some USB leads, and and it was probably I don't know five foot tall. If I remember, I can't remember now. Um, well, I'm, I'm doing uh, Imperial now, a metre and a half tall, <laughs> however, but uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Oh dear, I'm, I should set my height, my uh, sights higher then, obviously I'm <laughs> I'm not thinking inspirationally enough because you guys have already done what I was thinking about. I remember before Sequest as well, Pete, one of the um, one of the ideas that we came up with was on the back of the whole Superman to space, like, well, what's the, na- the next natural progression from that? And we thought, well, yeah. maybe we could send Aquaman to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> And then we thought, well, actually, maybe the bottom of the sea is a bit much, but maybe <laughs> the bottom of Lake Como or Loch Ness or somewhere like that. Yeah. And that always, for me, I'd, was one of those that I've just thought I would love to see that happen. And again, I know there was a lot of a lot of issues we'd have to overcome again because when you get down into pressure, the depths of the water also, and the pressure, yeah, it would radio be... comms, all of its issues. But yeah. that's one that I think I would like to do. Um, but I think it would either be for me something like that or just partner up with Colin Furs and let him create something crazy because yeah. I love some of his giant builds that he's done, especially oh, the, yeah. the sort of ones he's done in partnership with eBay. Um, or even because whenever he reaches a landmark, he always creates a crazy machine that sets off hundreds of thousands of fireworks. So for, <laughs> for the 10th birthday, what, what better way to celebrate in lockdown than a firework display that probably most of us would be able to see from anywhere in the country. Yeah, yeah. oh no, absolutely. You know, so so I, I agree. I mean, thinking about it, part of my motivation, which I kind of missed out there about money's an object, I really want to get a world record, right, for, for me and for RS, right, Design Spark. So part of the reason why we did the Sequest um, story 
which will release very soon. It's in post production, and uh, but the whole idea was to build a world record breaking three D printed model boat and send it on an adventure. So. Yeah, watch this space, and very soon we'll start releasing um, the, the first episode, uh, probably uh, by the autumn, and then you can follow our journey and find out how we got on. Cool. So it's time for the final section of the show, as we each put forward our nominations for Geek of the Week. Each of us nominates one person who deserves the title, then we all agree on the winner. So Dave, you can go first this week. Who would your nomination be? Well, I'm going to take inspiration from that design spark story and the, the the kind of 3d journey that i've taken since i started and we, we talked a little bit about the reprap printers these 3d printers that you create using parts that have been themselves 3d printed by a previous user and there was a chap called adrian boyer who well, still is a chap called adrian boyer <laughs> he was the brains behind the reprap network this this build it forward type approach and we met him. I remember Pete and I, we went into London. We, we met him and we went and saw these machines being used somewhere. I've got a picture of me looking very silly next to one of these printers. Um, but that kind of, that kind of approach to a technical problem from a, a sideways look, you know, not the traditional we'll build it, you buy it, uh, to take that kind of community based approach to a piece of technology, I think is, is absolute genius. Uh, we talked about the fact that these 3D printers take a little bit more effort to to keep going than your average common or garden desktop paper printer. But when it comes down to it, isn't that part of the fun? Um, yeah. So, yeah, Adrian Bay has definitely got to be Geek of the Week for that just because he approached that problem in a completely different way. OK, so I, for me, um, it's, it's Raspberry Pi related again, actually. And I mentioned earlier about how Raspberry inspired many people to create um, add-on boards and other projects and stuff and I always remember I've got fond memories of these two guys that turned up on our, our office doorstep one day uh, when we were in Oxford um, up near the mini factory at Cowley before we moved into London and uh, they were um, one guy um, was from the Oxford University this guy called Ryan and uh, his colleague Jesse uh, he was from actually Imperial College London, I think, or, or, or one of the London colleges. And they had this amazing idea that they wanted to 3D print a Raspberry Pi powered kind of laptop, if you like, and, and use it to sort of teach kids to uh, learn how to code, uh, but in a slightly different way by sort of using a gaming element, if you like. So they created this, this thing called Seed Universe, which is really, really cool. And what the, what the amazing thing about it was is that they'd actually used our DesignSpark tools to create it. So they, they'd laid out all the PCB board in DesignSpark PCB. They did, I think the one of the earlier versions had used DesignSpark Mechanical to create the enclosure. And they, uh, they 3D printed this, um, this green looking laptop, which is a very bizarre color. Uh, and it took them about 120 hours of continuous print to print this thing. If you've, if you've done any 3D printing, you'll know that that, that is you know, probably not uncommon for some of these things that you're doing that are quite sort of high resolution and very thing. And they, they slept around the clock and got up and were babysitting it constantly so it didn't crash. And I think the reason behind the white was so green, fluorescent green, is that the, the only the only filament they could get to do it almost like in one or two prints without keep changing the filament was 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 this fluorescent green. So that's why they used it. And actually, it's become iconic for them when you see it's it's, it's obvious it's it's this Pi Top laptop, and it's kind of evolved from there really. They 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 got into uh, various um, 
sort of tech magazines and even Vanity Fair picked up on it as, as gift of the year and for the kids. And they've done successfully well as a startup off the back of it. Uh, you know, and I'm proud to say that, you know, we were kind of part of that to help them get their journey started, help them um, by giving them the design tools and they used our network. And I think you might have been there, Dave, when they came on stand with us at Electronica in Germany. We gave them a corner of our stand. Uh, and they sort yeah. of talk. Lovely guys, I remember them. Yeah, Lo- fantastic guys. Um, really, really sharp. And uh, now they they're, they're manufacturing these things out in China. They have got their own setup. Um, so yeah, I'm going to nominate um, um, Jesse and and Ryan really. I just put the two together. But Jesse and Ryan from Pytop, I think they've just been they're an amazing inspiration of young, hungry design engineers with an idea who've created this amazing thing that have helped you know again help kids to learn about technology. And they've been at all the maker fairs and things as well, and they're they're doing incredibly well. So yeah, that's my nomination for Geek of the Week. Cool. And my nomination is actually a Design Spot blogger. So it's Andrew Back, um, who one of the one of my favourite projects really that we worked on with him was the Calderdale Flood Network Monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the the area of of the UK he lives in um, up in West Yorkshire was hit really badly with floods. So. Andrew then used his um, technical expertise to be able to use Raspberry Pis actually to monitor the the river level so that there was a warning system in place um, should it get to a point where the floods would, would come back and the banks would burst again to ensure that the people in the local area had some warning um, whereas before it had caused sort of hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of damage mm. and that was really good but really it's not the only reason that I'm nominating him um, I just really love Andrew's style I love the projects that he works on and some of it really resonates with me um some of it around the retro electronics that he has and yes. he, he tries to bring them back to life so one of my personal favorites was the classic quad electrostatic loudspeakers that he had and yeah. he'd managed to bring them back from nowhere um and, and got them all up and running and working again and I've had the pleasure of, of being in his uh, workshop and it, it really is like an Aladdin's cave of oh, I love you know, his workshop. pre nineteen sixties <laughs> electronics that he's got his hands on that he can then bring back to life. He's um, got like a tornado flight computer and stuff in yeah. there, and all these uh, military radios. So Andrew's a ham guy as well. He's, he's a non practicing ham, I guess I should say, because I don't think he does a lot. But these days, but he's got all this amazing field radio equipment from the military, from you know, from sort of fifties, sixties, and he's even got an electron scanning microscope. Um, in his there as well, high precision. That I think it's a Cambridge Instruments one, which probably new back in the eighties was, I don't know, best part of two hundred grand. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can see, you know, down to, on it, like you can take the top of a semiconductor and you can like obviously see the tracks and all that. It's just absolutely incredible. But yeah, sorry, yeah, his his workshop's amazing, Robbie, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it is, and I mean, it's not just it's the fact that he covers so many different things in in his content that he creates as well, because it goes from everything from that classic stuff and the retro stuff that you don't see mm. much of anymore, which is a nice trip down memory lane anyway, all the way up to looking at modern technology and things like the when the Pi Four came out. I remember he created yeah. a personal data center network. And again, that was, it was just really cool to see things used in a different way than I would have ever thought of using it. Um, but as well, he, he also is, is really good at reaching out to a wider network and helping to broaden my network too. So um, I've been up now a couple of times to the Wuthering Bites Tech Festival that they hold in, in the Calder Valley um, yeah. every year around September time. And it's, it's a, just a, a whole week of people sharing workshops around um, various different things um, and, and just sharing guest speaking slots and and you find out a lot of really really cool information but 
yeah, I think Andrew is is one of the one of the bloggers I really look forward to to reading content as soon as he adds anything on there. So he would be my nomination this week for Geek of the Week. Fantastic. So I think my vote goes to Andrew. Actually, Andrew, I, I, I know think I'd agree on Andrew. Years. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's, he's done so much good stuff, hasn't he, Dave? Over yeah. the years, he, we've, we've both he's been part of the Design Spark story for so long. Andrew does. He's a bit of an open source guru. He what he doesn't know about open source isn't worth knowing. You know, he's he's a really big advocate of open source, like we are on Design Spark, because it's a great way of you know getting people quicker. Uh, designing things and, and reutilizing, you know, code and, and and hardware designs that already exist, and you can take those and utilize those to as you wish. So, but yeah, he, he certainly has. He comes from a family of engineers. Yeah, yeah, I definitely go for Andrew as the nomination this week. Yeah, and I think I I, I loved especially Jesse and the the whole story around PyTop. I've I could listen to it all day, um, but I think the fact that he's made such a huge success of that business and he's he's got an awful lot of cash in his bank now to to keep him warm at night so let's give the award to andrew so this week's geek of the week is andrew back and that brings us to the end of yet another episode so thank you once again for tuning in if you enjoyed the episode as always please do three things for us subscribe on your favorite podcast platform leave us a review and share the podcast with a friend for more episodes and bonus content please head to designspot.com forward slash podcasts And we look forward to seeing you all again next week. Thank you very much, guys. Speak to you soon. See you all soon. Cheers, guys.